Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. This is week three of our Life Together series. And uh, in, this, in this series, so for the first two weeks, uh, three weeks ago and then two, weeks, two Sundays ago, uh, Pastor Andre did a really excellent job of just teaching us on church as family, right? Church as family and also as community where we experience transformation together. And so um, what we're doing throughout the series is um, pressing in to learn together what's God's vision of a biblical community, right? what that looks like in terms of uh, vision uh, that's not built so much on opinions or preference, right? but really on our devotion to God and to each other. Right? And that's what we're leaning into. And this doesn't come without effort. Right? It requires us to uh, value each other, right? honor above ourselves. It, it requires us to lay aside our vain conceit. Right, where we looked at Philippians 2 a couple of Sundays ago, it, it requires us to guard against division. And, and this really comes when we face challenges or difficult situations uh, as invitation to us as a church how we can navigate uh, uh, what's ahead together. Right? And we see challenges that way because we are learning life together, how we experience the gospel over and over again, or even see it modeled in each other's lives. And, and I also want to say, I uh, believe true too, you know, what happened last Sunday was significant, extremely significant for us, not just in that instance, but for what's ahead. And yeah, which really reminds me of the NDP song that my kids have been yelling at the top of their lungs. Grateful, faithful. You, you don't know, ah? Huh? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, okay. The words escape me, but oh, I have the. I believe it is timely <laughs> for what's ahead, and even in these next few weeks, what we're gonna do is look at a few uh, contrasts, right? Uh, of of from scripture, especially Acts two, of what the culture of our day looks like but yet what God envisions for us right, as his community. And, and what makes us distinct, a distinct people, what makes us a, a, a people who live compelling lives in the midst or in contrast to the cultural norms of our day. Right, we not only want to look at these values, but we're also uh, wanting to learn to embrace and embody, right, embody these values, what it looks like in practice. Right? How do we practice these as habits or so that they become habits that reflect these values? All right. And one of these contrasts is our topic for today, a community of honor in a culture of contempt. Now, our society is really polarized, right? extremely polarized, sometimes toxically, uh, be it you know, in social media, politics, between people of different um, ages, ethnicity, gender, nationality, whatever it is, right? anything. Some of you might recall two years ago, when a certain, here in Singapore, when a certain political party's chairman got into controversy, uh, you know, in something quite public with a well-known influencer who had taken legal action against a detractor of hers. And then an article wrote about this spat that they had, very public spat, right? So, she, so this uh, 
the political party chairman, after criticizing her legal action, he attacked her looks, calling her the epitome of ugly Singaporean, among other insults. Some of you are starting to recall. Oh yeah, I know, I heard about this. She responded by labeling him a classic old school hater. Okay, before displaying in public his taste in scantily clad women, just we know from the Instagram likes that he has made. None of their comments, right, this article notes, were relevant to the initial disagreement over her legal action. And it's quite true. Their quarrel was a display of insults, name-calling, a disdain for each other, uh, but really not relevant to what they were disagreeing on. More examples. Now, when I was in secondary school, uh, some of you may not know this, I was a convent girl uh, in secondary school. And I know, I don't look it. I often hung out with friends late at night, and sometimes this resulted in like getting, being a... Uh, well, spectators of, of fights, okay, between some people, between gangs. And so I would hang out with, uh, you know, being a bunch of common girls, hanging out with a bunch of boys from the boys' school next door. We'd hang out until it's late, and uh, often, uh, and in, in that time, uh, I was, yeah, details aside, I mostly hung out with Malay-speaking uh, uh, friends, right, not, not Chinese-speaking. And uh, this would be different races with Malay speaking. I'll be the only Chinese among them sometimes. Uh, and, and sometimes I'm just watching um, as a spectator the territorial fights that happen uh, between uh, these groups. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of name calling uh, in multiple languages that sometimes escalated. Right? What is existing prejudice? And what became worse was that it bred further contempt, right, between these gangs. Uh, it was just frightening to watch, uh, and sometimes people got really hurt. And that's what came to mind as I thought of what was my experience growing up with contempt, is that like, there's just prejudice underlying the fabric of our society, right, in multiple ways. Kids learn disdain from school very quickly. And you know, you know, there's comparison, intimidation, a lot of this. And just recently, Ezra came back, my son, my old, my firstborn, uh, sharing how he felt when his very close friend was bullied. Uh, and they're in different classes now, but uh, they bump into each other in the canteen sometimes. And so uh, he was just sharing how he, you know, his friend was made to feel small by these like older kids in the school, uh, and how he felt. He felt a lot of empathy for his friend, and he tried to step in as well. And even just this week, um, I was, to my surprise, we were talking about you know, helping, what are some ways that we help someone who's in need? Right? It's one of our devotional questions. And uh, then uh, he said, you know, but mommy, I cannot help girls get up if they fall. And I was like, why? So we should help anybody. Right? You should not just help boys, but girls too. No, but if I help the girl, then my friends will all say that she's my girlfriend. <laughs> Let me at them, right? Like, who are these people? I'm like, what? But it made me think, like, so when we, when we respond to people like that, when somehow there's just scorn and there's just mockery, right? Even for doing good, 
isn't that just, that just really, that rubs me the wrong way. I can't believe it. And like, no. And the entire week, every day, I would have like two-minute lecture. You know, I'll slip it in there. We help everyone that we can, even if we may get insulted for it. Then just this morning, driving and parking at Manual Life, I said the same speech. You know, it's just like if someone of another gender falls down, you help them up, you know. Sleep it. Not sato at all. But... We indoctrinate, no, we teach, we disciple, we disciple. <laughs> but I just think it's just incredible how even from young, we learn to shame others, even for good, right? And, and it's just an attack on learning respect, teaching respect. How do you teach respect, kindness, compassion in this kind of climate? Now, we easily think our problem is being intolerant or not civil. But very possibly, I think what's worse, far worse, is contempt. Not just contempt for other people's ideas, but for other people, them, themselves. This is antithetical, antithetical to God's vision of our life together. How do we live as a contrast society amidst this kind of pervasive unkindness or hatred, all right? And remember, we talked about that story uh, of Bonhoeffer where he, talks, uh, he tells his friends, pointing at the Nazi camp and the f people at Finkenwald, this must be greater than that. Uh, they're talking about how our formation, our walk with God needs to be such a compelling and contrasting life altogether that it is stronger than the norms of our day. So, Holy Spirit, may we be formed by you together this morning. That's our prayer. Even as we lean in to, to hear your word, we, you call us to be a transformed people. You call us to be a darkness into light kind of people. You call us to be people who did not receive mercy, but now we have. And so, Lord, may this uh, be true in our formation, in our discipleship, uh, in our community life together. And even this morning, we pray that you would stir within our hearts not just a, a response of obligation, not at all, but a response of affection and, and delight in you by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, from the passage we read uh, from Romans 12, Paul's instruction here to the disciples in Rome uh, he starts off with a very familiar verse, right? Chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is not on there. Uh, verses 1, we're familiar, right? To present your bodies as living sacrifice, yeah, holy and acceptable. And verse 2 would go on to say, Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, right? But be renewed. Right? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul the Apostle goes on to write to them, talking about how they ought to live this out. How do you apply that which we've received, the grace that we've received, the salvation, the mercy. From this section onwards, chapter 12, he's fleshing out the outworking of it in their conduct, their behavior, their lifestyle, their eating habits, uh, their sexuality, their family life, all of that. Now that you've been set free, you're in Christ, live it out, walk it out. So he's 
says in verse 3, Romans 12, For by the grace given to me, Paul goes on to teach them that you know, say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, right? Basically, he's teaching us to, to see, to reckon each other that which the, the, the same value that God has given. That's what he's saying in verse 3. According to the measure of faith God has assigned. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm giving you a feel of the, the text that we just read, which means to rightly recognize each other's value, right? And of your own value. So he goes on verses 4 to 5, we are one body. He goes on 6 to 8. He lists a bunch of gifts. God gives. Every one of us has different gifts, but they're all useful. They are all of value. Right? Even parts of our body that we think is not very useful, there is a use, there is a function. Same with the body of Christ. He goes down that passage, and then Paul emphasizes the posture here, verse 9 to 21, with which our gifts should be used. Right? So all these gifts, and the posture with which each member of the body should be empowered, facilitated so that they can contribute with their gifts. So Lydia just read verse 9 to 10, 16 to 17 for us. Look at verse 10 especially. Whether noun or verb, in these different translations, they give nuances to this specific instruction. These translations, NKJV. In honor, giving preference to one another, similar to the New American Standard Bible, give preference to one another in honor. NIV, honor one another above yourselves. That's a verb. ESV would use it as a noun. Doesn't matter. Right? You see these nuances there. There is a sense of honoring others above. Right? A sense of um, giving preference, deferring to the other. There is a sense of outdoing each other in showing, demonstrating honor. Now, what does that mean? Paul understood honor as something that expresses, that proves our genuine affection. That's why verse 9 goes, right, you know, love genuinely, right? Show genuine love, genuine affection. It proves it, right? For every member of the body to play their part, to thrive, it's incompatible for us to not show honor. It's incongruent. He went on so far as to say, outdo one another. Basically, if there's anything that you and I should outshine, upstage each other and excel at, like, no, I'm better, no, I'm better, this is a good fight. Like I tell my kids, this is a good fight. When you're fighting who to give, okay, who to offer first, in honoring others above ourselves. This is how Paul sees it. So what is honor in Scripture and why is it important? See in both the New and the Old Testaments a quick sweep, okay, how honor is talked about. New Testament, the word is timme. Um, looks spelled like time, but it's timme. It means honor which belongs or is shown to one. Now, in the New Testament, out of the 43 times that Timae is translated into, on, uh, in, uh, translated into various English words, 35 out of 43 is translated into honor. Right? To honor is to recognize and esteem, to, give, to place high value on a person in recognition of his or her importance. Now, notice that I'm specifically not defining as based on what the person has done or not done. Right? The person is important, period. Sometimes it means to enhance the reputation of another, whether it's solicited or not. The same Greek word is interestingly also translated eight times, not into honor, but price. Uh, price, P-R-I-C-E. It has the value 
or price, which is really what we see in the Old Testament. Right Now we swing to Old Testament. The Hebrew word that is very often used to trans, uh, is very often translated into honor or glory. Uh, it means to be heavy, kaved, to be heavy, be weighty, be glorious, be honored. Uh, some of you may be more familiar with the word kavod, right? Glory, right? It uh, stems from this uh, root word kavad. This is the root word for it. To honor is to recognize and esteem. Right, we've said that, to place high value, to give weight, basically, to give weight to a person because we recognize he or she has worth and is of worth to God. And we look at these various mentions of honor in scripture really quickly. Bam, bam, we've got like 13 verses here. You ready? Ready? Oh, let's go. First one. Honor mentions in the Bible. Okay, Jesus is to be honored. We look at Hebrews 2. Is that which one? No, 2 Peter 1.17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We see Jesus uh, being honored by the Father. Uh, we've got other verses. You can check this out in the slides. I'm only going through the main ones for each. Second, honor is for eternity. We see this in Revelations 5. 12 to 13, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature on heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Honor for eternity. We see creation honoring God, Isaiah 43. The wild beasts will honor me. God says, right, the creation, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. We honor with our body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And I'd say it's a good reminder when we worship, we honor God with our body, right? We're not just bodily uh, the matter is present, but the mind elsewhere. But we are honoring God with our body, not just in sexuality. Next, greater honor is due to the lesser parts. Right? First Corinthians 12, verses 23 to 24. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Next, we're familiar with this as well. Honor parents as a commandment. Honor your father and mother. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, often quoted in the New Testament. Honor, there's honor in the Trinity. John 5, 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Honor people and authority. First Peter 2.17 says, Honor everyone, honor the emperor, the king, right? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Everyone. And then I listed a bunch there also. Honor for the widows, honor to elders, slave workers, honor servants, honor your leaders. Honor in marriage. Right, Hebrews 13 verse 4 tells us this. Let marriage be held in honor 
among all. On uh, the Sabbath, Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure, 14, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you right on the heights of the earth. Some more, three more. Honor God with our wealth, our giving. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Right? That's another honor. Another two. God desires honor for us. Hebrews 2, 6 to 7. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. That's us. God has crowned us with honor. And there is honor for those who honor others. Last one. First Peter 5. Five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These are just a few. Honor is prominent throughout scripture. It's very much a part of God's design. Our mandate on earth is to bring, what? To steward the resources, to steward creation, to... Uh, administrate, to bring order even where there is chaos, right? And, and, and to work for human flourishing. Honoring in the showing of it, in the giving of it, brings our order as per God's design. It brings about the shalom of God in our interactions with each other, with created things. God, Jesus came to restore honor, honor to us, to reconcile us to the Father. Honoring is how we steward all that we have and all that we are for the flourishing of humanity. Question, am I giving weight? Am I recognizing value in people or am I diminishing people? Now the sad thing is, what we are familiar with, even comfortable with, is the opposite of God's injunction to be a people of honor. And I'll say a bit more. So prevalent is our culture of dishonor, of you know, demonizing people, whether it's for basis on their ideology or whatever it is, or their capability. Uh, so prevalent is a culture of dishonor. We, we distort arguments, we diminish the worth of someone, almost like uh, we need to abolish their value so that I can have mine. And it's diminishing the worth of what someone does or who they are, we devalue one another. Interesting, I came to read this uh, quote by Sebastian Junger. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. But he's an author, a war journalist, uh, and he wrote this about uh, America. But in many ways, I feel it's, it's pertinent even where we are. Right? We live in a society that is basically at war with itself. People speak with incredible contempt about, depending on their views, the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign-born, the president, or the entire U.S. government. It is a level of contempt usually reserved for enemies in wartime, except that now it's applied to our fellow citizens. Unlike criticism, contempt is particularly toxic because it assumes a moral superiority in the speaker. It's directed at people who have been excluded from a group or declared unworthy of its benefits. People who speak with contempt for one another will probably not remain united for long. 
and he is commenting on how there's just this backbiting in the American uh, society when he returned, right? That he's commenting, what, what a shocking uh, uh, thing, phenomenon happening. Flip side is that we've also seen, we've also heard people talking about honor, but in what I would describe unhealthy, right? Honor that serves people in positions of power. Uh, authorities, including church leaders, to the dishonor of their followers. Honor that is laced with guilt and shame, intimidation and fear. That kind of honor to coerce, to manipulate for compliance, that is rendered for the interest of the one who stands to gain, in the limelight and the admiration of it all, but disregards or downplays other people. I've seen and heard that, and many of you have to as well, to elevate certain people but stepping on others. It's pseudo-honor, if you can even use that word. This kind of honor is abusive, manipulative. You cannot question or disagree. It's labeled rebellious, defiant, insubordinate. There have been times I've operated like that as a leader in the years of ministry, and I'm not proud of it. But it's insidious. It's very, it's like, no. It's only right. I'm the pastor. Personally, I have swung, therefore, to the other extreme. Because it's so unhealthy. The kind of honor that we try to teach and uphold, which is I reject any talk of honor or respect. I'm suspicious when someone suggests a notion of loyalty. Or a leader who talks a lot about honoring leaders. I would tolerate occasions when people, and in my case, church members, speak ill of each other. I would tolerate disrespect even towards myself. Reason because I don't want to be the leader who comes across as, you should honor me. Like, you know, controlling or, you know, being forceful. Any of you resonate? No? Maybe? But that's not healthy either. Right? Well, I'm not there now. I mean, I was. Then we see a lack of honor, so we need to cultivate. Okay, we teach about honor. And then, and, but then, what if honor gets unhealthy? Okay, la, don't honor. Now it doesn't work that way. It's the truth is we live in a corrupt world. Anything good and noble, the enemy can distort. The enemy can twist. So that we cannot live into the wholeness that God wants. But remember, we said honor is very much in the fabric of God's design for creation. This is the same, when we refrain from shining the spotlight on the importance of honoring each other, when we tolerate this honor because we are familiar with it, even comfortable with it, or we don't want to abuse it, we denounce by omission the importance of honoring one another. We denounce the importance or the need for honoring one another. And by default, we succumb to what is worldly. But the biblical emphasis on honoring others has everything to do with the biblical command of honoring God. To put that in another way, honoring others is not just about being a nice and decent human being or, you know, being a very good citizen, although that's very valuable here, right? It has everything to do with and it's directly related to our honoring God. To honor, remember, is to recognize and esteem, to place high value on a person in recognition of his or her importance. 
whether it is high value on a person who is the other or yourself. We recognize it means the image of God in the person and we honor them because we honor God. Now, in a Lausanne Movement article entitled The Good News for Honor-Shame Cultures, it says this, Following Jesus means adopting God's honor code for all areas of life, learning to value what God deems valuable. God's imputed honor empowers Christians to resist cultural disgrace and live for the glory of God's name. I really like what this uh, quote because it encompasses all, whether whichever side of, you know, whether you're talking about receiving honor, giving honor, uh, demonstrating it, and being a community, it encompasses all of that. How do we learn to value what God deems valuable? How does it apply to us as fellow believers, as a church community, as fellow believers from other churches, and how does it apply to how we interact with the world? Honor is that all. OS, operating system by which we function in God's kingdom and it's counter-cultural, I want to suggest, because of these three ways. Why is it so important, especially in the culture of our day, because it counters so many things that we just take for granted and we tolerate. First one, how is it counter-cultural? It transcends particular time and culture. Honor is not something that becomes obsolete just because we don't see men, much of it around. It doesn't cease to be important. In fact, all the more. And while certain contexts maybe we'll, we call, oh, that, that, that place is more like an honor-shame culture and these this kind of countries are not so much East and West, for example. But in our day, I think everyone is impacted by the impact of shame. Everybody is impacted by disdain, scorn, mockery, shame. All of us, anywhere in the world, all the more we need to uh, talk about and grow as people of honor that makes us distinct people of God because it doesn't matter what time and generation era you live in. It doesn't matter. It's, like, it's not old school. It's not old school to be honoring. Second way that this is countercultural is that it goes beyond cultural norms. Why? Because valuing what God values means, you know, that's, that's how we view others. And it doesn't matter whether you see like, oh, you know, because uh, we don't do that here. Oh, this is not how we do things. Because this is biblical. This is how God views we should honor each other. Do, do, do people from different cultures, are they made less in the image of God? No. Whatever culture, I'm not just talking about like uh, different nationality or whatever, or, or location. It could be what, various, various uh, subgroups or groups or whatever, interest groups, that you, what have you. It goes across all of this. Everyone must be valued for who they are in God's eyes. It's countercultural because as opposed to we like to talk about how well you know you need to earn my respect Honor lies in our willingness to render it, regardless. Why was the command to honor everyone, honor the emperor? Do you know Emperor Nero? Would you honor him? But Paul's writing, honor the emperor. It's not up to the other one to demand, claim, or earn it, although some do. 
it lies in our willingness to render it. And therefore, it's counter-cultural. Because, no, he doesn't deserve it. doesn't deserve my honour. And that's how we feel sometimes. Regardless, we honour. It transcends time, culture, cultural norms. We honour. Now, where there is dishonour, what happens? God disciplines. There are some harsh comments here in two passages of scripture that we'll look at. But I'll uh, go through them uh, quickly. Ezekiel 22, verses 1 to 4, 7, 8, and 13, 14. I'll just pluck and highlight certain parts. And the text here says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? It says, you shall say, thus says the Lord God, a city that sheds blood in her midst, so that her time may come and that makes idols to defile herself. And he goes on to say, you have become guilty by the blood you have shed and defiled by the idols that you have made, and you have brought your days near. The appointed time of your years has come. And God goes on to say, therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all the countries. He's speaking to Israel here. Father and mother, verse 7 and 8, are treated with contempt. The sojourner, like the foreigner in your midst, suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. So verse 13 to 14, Behold, I strike my hand at the dishonest gain you have made and at the blood that has been in your midst. The next one is a tough question. God asks, can your courage endure? Or can your hands be strong in the days I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Where there has been dishonor, God is telling his people, Israel, there is discipline. Um, there is wrath of God. Right? Malachi 1, we'll start from verse 6 to 7, but the key is looking at what happens in chapter 2. In Malachi 1, it says here, you know, a son honors his father, again God, and a servant his master. Then he asks, if then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Where is the fear to be rendered to me, God's saying? He's speaking to the priests here. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. So see what happens then, God's discipline in chapter 2, or the warning of it. And now, O priest, chapter 2, verse 1, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart and to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them. The next few words are harsh. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. Verse 7 to 9. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi. And so God proceeds to say, I make you despised. 
those who show dishonor, God would dishonor. That's what happens where there is dishonor, God's discipline. Second uh, point I thought would uh, help us better understand what happens where there is dishonor is people are deflated. <laughs> I thought very long, like, what word should I use? Uh, this word, discouraged, this whatever. I thought deflated, uh, somehow captured it. People would feel deflated where there is dishonor and not empowered. As someone described it this way, honor is not fading away due to misuse and all that, but it's being attacked in every way, in the church, in the home. So one can even say honor has been completely deconstructed. Being respectful, uh, being you know, honoring towards others, it's something that has become harder to teach, harder to live by. Think about it, citizens to officers, um, citizens to government, students to teachers, and those who are teachers are like, yeah, yes. Uh, staff to bosses, people to leaders, church leaders, pastors, children to parents. Have you ever walked around and just, you know, been just shocked at the kind of disrespect kids show their parents nowadays? I see some hits. You're not even parents? Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. Sometimes it's my own kids. Disrespect, husband and wife, contempt, vice versa. Contempt diminishes the value in other people, right? Where there is dishonor, we fail to see what's possible in other people. There was a young man who, when I returned from Bible school and uh, went back to uh, Sabah for a stint, there was a young man who was um, w one, of the, one of the youth leaders in the Malay-speaking church that I uh, pastored for two years. And um, I was just really surprised at the level of intimidation he had to deal with. Now, he's from uh, another state. He's not from uh, Sabah itself, uh, but a neighboring state. Uh, but he you know, had been with this community for some time, and he really has a desire to serve God. And uh, after some time of observing, I really felt like he uh, would be great uh, if he was empowered uh, to take on pastoral work, right? But very soon, there were people in the congregation who would come to me and say, Janice, you know, this guy cannot make it one, right? And me being fresh, kind of like just plugged in, like new back from somewhere else, I wasn't familiar with the inner workings, I wasn't sure, uh, you know, whose story and all that stuff. There were many uh, people uh, just you know, just not saying much, but there were these one, two people, one, two persons who kept deriding, like kind of like saying insults about this young man. And they're in the leadership. And um, we didn't do much, except we just kind of like befriended the guy and like got to know him, his background. Uh, maybe there's some backstory. I don't know, I was just finding out. And so I remember Matt and I made a special trip to visit his, his home, his village, uh, when he went back and visited his family and stuff like that. And we got to know him. And very soon, we kind of 
uh, became close, and I started. And at that time, I was then pastor of this congregation, and I took him kind of under my wing, so to speak. Although I didn't tell him that, but he kind of like you know very willingly came along, and probably for the first time, uh, someone who was in in the leadership position uh, made room for him to explore and flourish. And I'm not saying this to, to brag, but I'm just saying that it took so little of me. It really didn't. I didn't like sit down and do Bible study with him for hours or whatever it is. Not that, yeah, I mean, that just didn't, didn't come about. But we just befriended and we just like talked, like what are your dreams? We heard his desires. Um, now he's, he's pastoring in that same congregation. And um, he is married with a little kid uh, that we got to visit when we went back recently. And it just that story just really warms my heart. Um, okay, I mean, I wish it happens more often. It's like, wow, you know. Just because you know that you, it's about changing people's lives, right? And it doesn't really mean, like, all of us in our different ways, that's what we're, we ought to be about, right? That's what we ought to be about. But where there is dishonor, like these couple of people have displayed towards him, there is just this disempowerment. There is just this, like, you have no permission to grow and to thrive. Where there is dishonor, there's division. It ruins the quality of relationships that people can have. Now, you may not think you're listening there, like, yeah, Janice, I'm quite honoring what? I never badmouth you, right? Nah, maybe you're not thinking that. But we may not think we're very contemptuous people, right? We're very nice, most of you. We're very decent people. We may not outrightly show disrespect or dishonor. But we know we carry subtle thoughts in our hearts, right? Like even if it's just that little bit of like, oh, who are you? Or who are you, yeah? Talk to me like that, okay? diminishes the value and the regard we have for someone. Or someone, maybe you feel a bit offended when they say, wow, why is he like that? Who does he think he is? Or you heard someone praise another person who you happen to know some honest stories about and you think, ha, you think she's very good. Huh? Wait till you find out. Right? We just, we, do you all, am I the only one who thinks this? <laughs> That's not true. I know for one that many of us struggle with that. We're just very nice, right? We think it. And uh, it's just, it it's just comes naturally. It comes naturally. That's just how broken we are. Which is why Jesus' experience points out a very sobering point. Uh, last text. And I will try to land soon. Mark 6. Mark 6. Uh, it, 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 it shows us an experience Jesus has there that points out a very sobering point. You can uh, track this in your text. It's not up there. Some of you like to tease me about my giant Bible, but you know, auntie got floaters. Um, and uh, nowadays, you know, uh, my eyesight is not that good. So the print is very helpful for me. Mark 6, 1 to 6 uh, says this. It talks... It talks about Jesus and what happened when he was ministering, right? And on the, uh, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. 
And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Verse 3, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. It's like, who is he? Isn't he just that like carpenter next door? And Jesus said to them, verse 4, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Verse 5, He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse 6, And he marveled because of their unbelief. Look for you would find another passage which shows another experience where Jesus also then said in Luke 4, verse 24 to 27, if you're taking notes, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. What's the point here? Jesus' ability to heal and to do amazing things in their midst was not taken away or diminished because of their disrespect, but their disrespect stifled their receptivity towards Jesus and what he would have loved to do for them. Basically, when we dishonor and we do not recognize the value of someone because of, I don't know, familiarity that breeds contempt or kind of disrespect or prejudice or something, we will not, we cannot experience what Jesus can do, what Jesus' power and his anointing and his healing can do as a result of our own attitude. It is our receptivity here that stifles what Jesus can do. It's not that Jesus ceased to be powerful. Now, as a church family, the scary thing is that familiarity does breed contempt. And so some of us are so familiar. Some of you have known each other really way back, okay? Long way back. Now, maybe you're thinking, yeah, you know, but we don't really treat each other with uh, dishonor. Uh, I, I definitely feel like I have learned a lot about honor even in my time here. But take our cue from Jesus. He didn't merely tolerate or allow undeserving people or outcasts to hang around and follow him. He pursued them, right? And some of us, our honor is very passive, but it's counterformation for you and I when we not only just, you know, it's not just we're not shunning certain people, we don't talk bad about them, while the, our culture totally discredits some of these people or treats people with scorn. We, don't, we may not do that, but Jesus demonstrated his way further, extra mile. He sought out Matthew, the tax collector. He purposely went to that tree where Zacchaeus was. He went out of his way literally to cross Samaria to that well. He pursued them to restore honor, dignity to them. He sought them out. And, and he's, he's operating system, the, the way with which God, you know, Jesus operated and see or value people is that you don't have to kind of honor. And that's what I am talking about. We're not just talking about, I don't disrespect you, can already. No, we're talking about beyond that. We're talking about countering the culture of our day, which goes out of its way, by the way, to shame us, to discredit our worth, to devalue us, to diminish our voice, our worth. Why would we, the people of God, not go out of our way to exhibit a contrast to that. 
to live a contrast to that, transcending our time and culture, whatever that's happening in this generation, transcending our personality, our preference, our differences, transcending that and being willing to render it. And then for some of you are like, yeah, some of you really do this amazingly well, I must say. And I've learned a lot. Uh, many of us have a lot of room to grow. How can you and I grow in honor? Now, all that we do as a church to be, become, and do as Jesus, for people to grow and flourish, it must be stronger than whatever is out to tear us apart, right? Romans 12, 9 to 10, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 16 points again. Actually, it's fleshing out. How do you do that? Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Verse 17. Don't repay evil with evil, but give thought what is honorable in the sight of all. This, church, this is our beautiful resistance to the dishonor in our culture. We want to build this culture of encouragement. We want to help each other be honoring, right? How can we grow in honor? How can I, with the same question, give weight? How can I give weight, give value, recognize that value in others instead of diminishing people? I'll quickly close with this application, which, besides some of the examples I've given, which is plots, just because I thought it would be easier to remember. How do we practice encouragement? Okay. Uh, now, I went off like, you know, it's kind of a little hard to give pointers on how to encourage. I mean, maybe because it's not my strong suite, but it's something I want to grow in. So I came up with this five. Of course, you can do your own. It's not exhaustive. It's not exclusive. Pay attention to your heart was what came to mind first. Because I think sometimes I need to actually be conscious of the ways that I may not be honoring. Right, so pay attention because I'm not as aware or I have blind spots, I have prejudice, bias, whatever. So I need to pay attention to my heart. Maybe that's something that would be helpful to you as a pointer to pay attention to your heart. Whether it's in conversation, in inter interaction with someone or just when you're reflecting on a general like virtue or something in your devotion. Right, pay attention to what's in your heart. Second, listen. And this is especially when you're talking to someone, whether it's someone that you just met at service or someone that's been in your life group for very long, right? Whichever it is, listen. Listen, learn to listen better. Uh, many of us can learn to listen better. Not just what is being said, but also what's not being said, right? Uh, not, I, don't, I don't mean you're like, hmm psychoanalyzing the person while you're talking. But really listen, maybe ask God, like, help me listen better when you're having that conversation. What are you listening for? Listen for desires, listen for dreams, listen for pains or joys, something that's discouraged in there or something that is experiencing joy. What are you hearing when you're talking? When you're talking to each other, what are you hearing about what God wants to do in the person's life? What's, what's God's plan for the person's life? And what's God wanting to tell the person right now? Right, you're listening. Uh, another way to practice encouragement is to observe and pray. Kind of obvious, but I think a lot of times we're so busy in our doing. Actually, you don't want to just be encouraging, just I want to encourage you the way I want to encourage. No, 
we take time to observe. What is this person really going through? What's really happening? Observe maybe patterns, observe interaction, observe emotion, face, observe yourself, observe and pray into it. Basically, it's an extension of Ella. Listen Zamoa. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Right? PLO. T, tell him or her. Hey, you know, I saw you do this last uh, Monday, and I really want to tell you how much I appreciate that. Right? I'm learning that with the kids, husband, learning that with you guys, learning that with my in-laws and all that. Tell him or her. Not just like, oh, I never know. I'm sure he knows that he's appreciated. No, no, no. Tell him. Tell her, right? We practice it. Even if it's uncomfortable, it's unnatural, whatever it is, just practice doing it. Tell the person. Five, schedule to encourage. This one, I don't know how you all feel about it, but uh, maybe because I'm a person who works well with scheduling. So I intentionally, in different times of my week, there are specific hours where I schedule to text people um, something that, like a follow-up. Like maybe last week I met with you, and then this week I'm like, okay, I have to schedule in because, you know, I don't know. Do I need to explain why? No, lah. Okay, uh, I schedule lah. It helps me. Okay, so I'll schedule, <laughs> schedule to encourage, not just. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, I don't get around to it, or it takes a while, uh, but it helps. It has helped me uh, very often. Just like you schedule when you give your tithes, right? You schedule when uh, uh, you would take your kids out on a date, right? Or you schedule when you would. Have life group, right? You schedule, schedule in. Schedule time to encourage. Plots. <laughs> Can we stand? You know how like you like I'm just looking at my screen like okay I think I'm done okay talked a lot um, my heart this morning uh, went in a couple of directions as I was just asking God how do you want to speak specifically to us this morning uh, some of you I feel you probably have heard other uh, messages on honor uh, they've covered more ground or whatever it is. But I think, uh, you know, I just meant to be faithful with what I felt God uh, led me to cover this morning. And I'm praying that, uh, you know, this is not about um, doing more. And, and I think sometimes when we hear it, it's like, it sounds like doing more, right? Okay, I need to do more. I need to add this to my time or do add more tasks to my to-do that's very long already. And sometimes we feel that way, right? And I guess maybe this morning, um, would we just end with a time of just focusing on God? How are you leading us? And there are two specific ways that I felt God would want us to end today. And so I invite you to respond, uh, whether you're one or two or neither. One is, as you're hearing this and you brought to mind, there have been occasions where you have spoken ill of someone and you have shown dishonor. Either intentionally, not intentionally, either repeatedly or one-off, it's regardless. 
as long as you feel God is just reminding you of that instance or of that person or of the words you said and there is that uh, uh, that was dishonoring and you feel that conviction this morning I want to make room for you to repent confess that before God and uh, after service if time uh, if you can allow grab someone and just say I want to confess this I want to repent this but right now you know take time to repent for that I'm gonna we're gonna pray that in a minute second is as you're hearing this and you're like yeah you know I really uh, what I feel it's just I don't know how to receive honor. And some of us, uh, it's like, you know, it's, honor is an expression of love, a choice and a commitment to love each other. And for some of you, maybe you're wrestling with, I don't know how to receive it. And therefore, I find it very hard to give honor because I don't know how to receive it for myself either. I devalue myself. How do I add value to others? Now this morning, God says, come to me. I honor you. I crown you with glory and honor. And may you learn to receive it even this morning so that you can grow in showing honor. That's number two. And so whether you're one or two, whether you want to repent over an uh, a dishonoring thing or a word that you've said or you're saying yes God I want to grow in this area of honor teach me to receive and give honor that's you one or two would you respond with two open hands and I'll just pray a quick prayer over all of us before we go back into worship and then you're free to linger to respond further on your own is that okay? God, this morning we came and in worship with the worship team, we honored you. But sometimes in our honoring, our hearts are far from you. Our lips honor you, but our hearts are far. And this morning as one body, as one family, we all repent of dishonor towards you towards each other and we just pray even now for those that you've convicted in our hearts where we've displayed dishonor we have uh, given we have not shown honor to a person or in particular incident and you convicting these ones even now we pray God Holy Spirit would you forgive we repent corporately and we also ask Holy Spirit that you teach us even as you show areas where we struggle to receive encouragement and honor ourselves and we therefore we struggle to give it to others it's just a pain point for some of us here and you're convicting us of that even now also we pray Holy Spirit teach us to receive honor from you and give honor to each other as a family and with this lead us continually even as we worship to respond to you and all that you want to do in each of our lives in Jesus name
Amen.